Welcome to Back in the Game, a sports and mindset podcast. I'm Rob Bombacco. And I'm Rachel Popchek, and we're here to share with you the mental skills you need to help improve your performance and get your head back in the game. We will offer practical applications and diverse perspectives to help you apply these mental skills to your life. Welcome to Back in the Game, a sports and mindset podcast. I'm Rob Bombacco. And I'm Rachel Popchak. So excited to, to have a special guest with us today, uh, Paige Roberts. Paige is a mental sports performance expert specializing in helping athletes reset their nervous system mentally to overcome performance anxiety, recover fully from sports injuries or failures, and rebound from performance slumps or blocks. Paige owns a private practice called On Point Performance Neurotraining, where she implements various neuropsychophysiologic performance expansion modalities. Paige was led down the path through her personal experience as an NCAA athlete and the various challenges she faced. And through the loss of multiple athlete friends to suicide, uh, she is on a mission to find and implement the most effective treatment modalities for athletes to end suffering and obtain optimal performance. Paige has a degree in exercise science, master's of social work, which we love, and is a doctoral candidate of integrative medicine. She is a licensed clinical social worker, certified light therapist, certified brain health coach, certified brain spotting practitioner consultant, neuro-linguistic programming coach, hypotherapist coach, QEEG brain scan practitioner, and is an applied association of sports psychology certified mental performance consultant candidate. Paige spoke at the first Seattle sports medicine, combined the first uh, international brain spotting conference, Seattle Tech Stars Startup Week, has sat on many mental health and athlete panels, has been a guest on numerous podcasts, featured in Ski Magazine, was on the Sun Valley Television Station, and her revolutionary work has been published in the book, Healing with Red Light. Paige is an ambassador for the Concussion Legacy Foundation and volunteers with the Sick Not Weep Initiative. And to date, she has helped hundreds of athletes win state championships, gain collegiate sports commitments, and obtain national titles and Olympic medals. Paige, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's exciting. That's an awesome background and a, and a, you know ton that we're excited to talk to you about. Uh, starting off, I mean, you mentioned or in your, your bio being an NCAA athlete. Can you tell us a little bit more about your athletic career and and what led you down uh, into the field of sports psychology? Yeah, so I ran cross country. Um, in my undergrad studies and um, I was a big skier and swimmer and just any endurance uh, sport, I guess. I just loved um, doing those, the races and all of that. Um, and then when I was in undergrad, uh, you know, I got really into exercise physiology and the research club and like really testing the body and seeing like 
um, you know, that genetic component that they talk about 80% is genetics. And so mm -hmm. got pretty obsessed with that and then started a master's in exercise science and um, started to realize like it really wasn't for me because I, I was not as interested in the science as much as I was interested in how the mind influenced the science. And so um, started to really look at that. Um, I, I myself had had multiple concussions and uh, sports injuries. And so I'd started seeing a sport psych while well, a social worker in sports and he was out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado. So I like dropped out of the exercise uh, science masters and decided that I wanted to go the social work route. <laughs> and what really brought me to that was I lost a couple friends uh, to suicide in within like uh, three years. So one being a um, good friend and uh, fellow collegiate athlete when I was 19, he was the quarterback for our um, football team. And that was really tragic. And then another friend, he played um, minor uh, baseball. And so it was within those like four years that I was just like, wow, this is interesting. Um, why do athletes complete suicide? And when I started looking into what uh, Roger Reynolds did, uh, he had told me about a past, um, you know, friend of his in undergrad at Brown, and he'd met uh, Dr. David Grant's work. And it was this, um, he combined three to four, about four psychotherapeutic techniques and created this um, technique called brain spotting. And he'd been working with um, athletes with that, particularly really the birth of it was a um, national figure skater that he'd worked with and helped. And so I got very obsessed with understanding um, these little more cutting edge, like hypnotherapy, somatic experience, focused mindfulness, um, mm -hmm. eye movement, reprocessing, desensitization, like... Uh, neuro-linguistic programming. I just got really into wanting to understand the consciousness connection and really what happens when an athlete gets a concussion or a sports injury and why you tend to see an athlete's uh, performance decline and essentially the mental health issues that come with that. Right. Um, so yeah, so went on and um, got my master's of social work and got trained in brain spotting like 10 years ago now and okay. have just kind of... Um, you know, every time you're sitting in front of an athlete getting to figure out if, um, you know, what it's going to do, what, what, um, you know, what their stats, you get really obsessed with like stats and mm -hmm. I do QEG brain scans. So what I'm really looking at with that is um, seeing if their reaction time increases. So okay. that's typically what I see with that. So uh, really Dr. Stephen Porges' polyvagal theory with strengthening the vagal nerve is like playing out in front of you. So um got me really into all of that very initially mm -hmm. and then with myself um trying the brain spotting and healing i healed from my sports concussions like i couldn't okay. sleep when i was working at the hospital i was working the long night weekends and getting my masters during the day and it was very difficult because it's like i kind of went that whole first year without sleeping and I was just really trying to figure it all out. And so that's what got me to um, look at some of these more uh, trauma focused or yeah. altered state therapies, because it didn't seem like, um, you know, I would go to a talk therapist, I'd go to a psychiatrist and no one could really help me. Like I, mm -hmm. <laughs> they were giving me medications to sleep and they wouldn't help me sleep. And they'd right. sit there and look at you like, well, that's what it does. And I'm like, it's not working that way for me. So really realizing that if your nervous system is so dysregulated, um, nothing's going to help you. Um, you really have to fix the problem. And so that all, um, you know, really created the foundation of my understanding and really uh, motivation to work 
with athletes and trying to kind of shift the paradigm as Dr. David Grand and Alan Goldberg, who wrote the book, uh, This Is Your Brain on Sports, and that came out in like 2015. So okay. finally something was like, oh yeah, see here, there's um, other other individuals are actually doing this. This just isn't, uh, you know, what is it? Um, cognitive behavior therapy is kind of the mainstream with yeah. uh, sports psychology. So yeah, so it got um, a little obsessive there and trying to understand and uh, getting the word out there. And I'm really um, interested in like mentoring. You know, I mentor a lot of people and trying to okay. get them to implement this in their practice so that they can better serve athletes and, and quicker as well. Sure. You know, um, it's really not a ton of sessions to get an athlete's nervous system back up to optimization. Okay. And then about seven years ago, I started adding in photobiomodulation, which is a... Um, the near infrared and infrared light therapy. And okay. so my first device was a um, LED, like a low level laser. And so I started getting really amazing results with that as well, especially with concussion stuff, because if you use the e-stim and the laser on the neck, mm -hmm. you will get an increase of blood flow in the brain and uh, a lot of alleviation of some of those uh, post-concussion symptoms. Okay. And then started looking at Dr. Michael Homblin's work out of Harvard, where he was actually applying it to the head and in the ears and up the nose um, to address um, post-concussion syndrome and really watching individuals heal that had been in post-concussion syndrome for years, especially being in a ski town. Since I started in Steamboat Springs, I had the opportunity of working with a lot of retired uh, Olympians and um, even just uh, retired college and um, national athletes okay. that were really suffering, right? So every mm -hmm. time you crash at 80 miles an hour or go off a jump at 80 miles an hour and don't make it or, or don't land your trick, as they say, and you're just like, well, yeah, you slammed your face into the snow at 80 mm -hmm. miles an hour. Like you got a concussion. You didn't just not land your trick. Right. Um, so kind of like educating the community on that too. And um, finally being able to help people with these modalities was, uh, it was amazing. And um, so then after that, I got uh, this Wavi QEG brain scan. So that's when I really started wanting to measure the results and showing people how dysregulated their nervous system was and how easily that they could tune it right back up. Um, and so that was about six years ago now. And okay. that device was interesting. So Dr. Frank Palermo, with um, he worked with the Avalanche for over 20 years as their team physician. Mm -hmm. And then he is out of Boulder, Colorado. And what they were doing is trying to create a tool that you could really baseline someone's brain health, baseline concussion testing, and then also monitor treatment effectiveness. So it's a very uh, practitioner-friendly uh, tool. It's not like a raw EEG where you're trying to find, um, you know, if someone has a seizure disorder or, or something of that nature. It's really just to assess, hey, is there blood flow in the brain? Um, is there communication between each area? What's the audiovisual uh, physical reaction time? So you're, okay. and that's everything in sports, is, you know, um, and you see those things become completely skewed when an individual has a concussion. And a lot of times when someone's had surgery, right? So right. if we're com completely disconnecting the consciousness and it's like a, you know, a disassociation, a forced disassociation. Mm -hmm. So you'll actually see all of those um, components decrease also if someone's had anesthesia. So okay. it's been really interesting to go back through with the trauma reprocessing therapy to all of those instances and then watching the nervous system tune and reconnect back up. Sure. Um, so yeah, so really getting to put the uh, qualitative, um, you know, kind of 
you can't deny um, a brain scan right. <laughs> uh, to these modalities has been, uh, it's been amazing. And you get to watch, um, you know, the athletes themselves, like, mm-hmm realize like, hey, I was kind of suicidal and depressed. Oh, it's because my nervous system was depressed. Oh, I tuned it back up that there's nothing wrong with me, you know, that I, that this was an injury, that this thing happened and now I'm better. And it's um, hopefully breaking down some of that mental health stigma around things. Um, Because really that's where it all started. Just like, whoa, why are athletes not seeking help? Why don't they get better? Even if they've had a few um, cognitive sessions and just really what's physiologically going on so right yeah. so i i'd like to kind of because i think that's such a big part of all this right is that that mental health side and and you know you mentioned kind of going through it yourself you mentioned you know mm-hmm. friends that went through it and, and obviously uh, the concussions the injuries are are one of the pieces that can kind of trigger you know mental health related issues uh, amongst athletes you know, one of the things we talk a lot about is how great sports are and, you know, all the positives, right, that that come from it, you know, but we also educate, you know, athletes on that there is, you know, they're prone to some of these things, right, the mental health, even addiction related things. And like I said, the the injuries play a big part of that. But are there other things you've seen throughout your career that kind of you know, lead, lead athletes maybe down that, you know, um, path of addiction or, or kind of struggling with their mental health? Well, athletes are human and Mm -hmm. us being, um, social workers. So person in environment, um, really when you're working with an individual with these trauma reprocessing therapies and working as a clinician with athletes, which is different than some of your performance coaches and even a PhD with, you know, an education background in sports psychology, um, it is actually looking at all of their adverse uh, childhood experiences, um, interpersonal relational stuff. You know, if a parent had passed away, if the parents had been divorced, um, gosh, a lot of times with really high level athletes, uh, particularly um, basketball is an interesting one because these prep academies, um, they will completely not even be with their parents, their entire, you know, adolescence. And so there's a lot of stuff there. You start to see, so with the professional basketball players, I see a lot of insomnia and dysregulation like that when they've never had a concussion. So it's really that the nervous system gets very ramped up from um, that attachment wound, right? From not having that secure attachment and being in their uh, family environment. So that's been an interesting one that's fairly consistent because they have all these little prep academies that they ship them all off to. And as you guys know, with you know, the genetic potential, we know at like 10, if a kid is going to be at this really high level. And so um, there's a little bit of, you know, uh, proprietary aspect of that or, or something of that nature where uh, immediately these coaches get very much like, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, this is my prodigy. I'm going to take right. them here. You have to go here. And, and it's an interesting dynamic. So, I mean, outside of concussion, outside of sports injuries, that would be one where I see less injuries and less concussions. Okay. And I see more dysregulation from some of the attachment stuff. Sure. Um, and then even just, uh, you know, cultural or racial, um, you know, issues come up with a lot of those, uh, you know, not necessarily the coach piece, but some of the uh, families or contribution yep. aspect of some of those prep academies. 
there becomes this um, power dynamic, you know, and those individuals then start to feel pretty disempowered. And then, you know, per perhaps their potential is even greater, but by the time they get to college, they're just not really trusting in like their ex internal resources. They're still very um, concerned with appeasing and pleasing everyone else. So there's some interesting dynamics that go on that would be very different than, you know, some of the ski communities where like the parents move to these like, very healthy, small, affluent communities, and their kids like the superstar in the community, the whole family's there, they travel to all these World Cups and all these things, very different environment. And so I don't see as much of the attachment stuff there, yeah. but yet I see more, more head injuries and more physical um, issues like that. So, mm -hmm. so really when you're looking at, you know, it's the person in environments and, um, and then the piece like, you know, with hockey players, they travel also. So that was interesting too, when I first started working with some retired hockey players that were very concerned about developing CTE, learning the same thing in Canada, like if you're really identified as a good player, you're traveling on the road and staying with other families. And so again, going back and working on a lot of uh, that attachment piece and, and um, even just listening to an athlete, you know, with some of the trauma reprocessing piece. So, you know, not every uh, person who's not an athlete uh, tells their story or um, feels comfortable telling their story or is kind of told that we got to be tough. We don't talk about the bad things that happen. We just kind of shift it right away to like, what was the lesson learned, that kind of thing. But it's a very common thing with athletes. So mm -hmm. when you're going back through and reprocessing these things and going back through, as we call it, like the laundry list of all of the um, you know, life stuff or sports stuff that's gone on that didn't serve them, hurt them, yep. caused them pain. Um, you will definitely see with an athlete that they've never even uh, talked to anyone about these things. So it's interesting, even just that little piece, as we know that um, things become more and more distorted in our mind, uh, we will become more and more disassociated and disconnected. Suppression leads, leads to depression. So even just the piece of putting and, you know, neuro-linguistic programming, some of that aspect of is going back through and adding the language to it and laying down the network, um, you know, actually having it be a part of you so that we can reprocess it and go through it in the attuned frame. Um, it's huge with athletes, you know, and so often when I have them write their list, there'll be two things on the list. You know, it's like, oh, there's absolutely no way at 30 years old that there's two things on your list. You know, right. life happens. We all go through adversities and pains and um, things that didn't serve us. And so when you're working with an athlete, it's really providing that space of that vulnerability. And it's almost a joke at this point in time because I sit there and go, I'm trying to make you cry. Trying mm -hmm. to make you cry, all the sad, bad stuff. That's all this is about. I know that you're a resourced, powerful human being outside of this session, but I want to know about all the bad things so that they can be out of your nervous system, not show yeah. up on the court or not show up on the mountain. Um, so it becomes, I create that culture. And, you know, I, I have like coaches ask me, you know, most recently there's this um, app called, you know, Clubhouse where people are getting to share. I would highly recommend anyone interested in. Uh, knowing how to uh, support athletes more and uh, just really wanting to get into this community of understanding and reaching coaches and parents. Um, because, you know, a lot of people just, they'll be like, well, how, what's the number one thing? And I'm just like, 
well, letting your athletes have emotions, you know, right. providing that space. Like we want parents to be able to, when they get in the car after the game, just like allow for the kid to vent and, and cry yeah. if they need to and mm -hmm. have that release without the, well, it's going to be okay. You're, you're going to get back out there. Everything's fine. It's like, no, just be an active listener. You don't really have yeah. to do anything. You get to be a safe space as a parent, you know, or right. even the coaches at the end of the um, game, you know, if they, if they lost or, or even if they won, let's just sit here and talk about the things that you didn't feel like, you were perfect at or that right. you didn't feel great about and and providing that space to fully process that stuff in the moment so it's not really stuffed yep. in the nervous system so um you know that's i'm the feels person all about mm -hmm. feelings all about mm -hmm. and um and it is kind of humorous sometimes like you got me you got me to cry <laughs> it's like, yeah it's my job it's <laughs> exciting you know but healing is uh, crying has an aspect of healing sure. you know Sure, absolutely. Well, no, and, and you're sharing a lot of incredible approaches and modalities. And, and you know, I talk a lot with my clients um, about how, I guess, just to kind of put it simply, like when our stress level goes up, our, our cortex, our thinking brain goes offline, right? And then, you know, our, our amygdala, that emotional reaction is part of our brain kind of goes into overdrive, essentially. So really, you know, again, to put it simply, we can react to everything, but we can't effectively kind of solve our problems or work through things. Um, so again, you've shared a lot of, of really wonderful kind of modalities and approaches. Um, but could you just tell us a little bit more about some of your favorite kind of techniques for, for calming that nervous system and kind of helping to sort of bring that thinking brain back online? So, you know, the foundational one that I just love is brain spotting. Um, and like I said, just kind of adding in neuro-linguistic programming, a little bit of hypnotherapy and some of that there, but just really with the brain spotting in the very beginning. So allowing for with the bilateral sound. So with brain spotting, you listen to bilateral sound so that we kind of get out of the rationalization reasoning part of our brain on purpose, because yes, we, we want to kind of be in that altered state as if we were going through the trauma, right? So you just talked about like uh, the neocortex not being online. So we're wanting to get someone in the subcortex so that we can actually do this work. And so you do that. And so then we're able to access um, well, it's the insular cortex is where our, we decide through our five senses, sensory input, um, if we're going to make a conscious or unconscious memory. Um, no matter what, we're taking in both. There's no way that we're not taking in unconscious memory all the time because that's survival. And, um, you know, we, we, our senses, we're, we're taking in four megabytes of information every second of every day. And we can't possibly consciously organize that. So it's all just coming in based off our past experience. So we're not really ever actually living in the current moment and uh, consciously creating um, assumptions and theories unless we are actively engaged in a learning or a question or something of that nature. So with that, we're trying to access with that bilateral sound, get someone in the altered state. So a fairly, you're right on the edge of unconscious and consciousness when you're in this, doing this modality. And um, so we're trying to draw out that information and put a conscious experience or memory to it so that it can be fully processed so that we are not, um, you know, unconsciously, like you said, reacting. So that's the reason we got someone um, in their middle brain. And then we just have the individual, we will go ahead and isolate one eye or the other because the brain is 60 to 80% visual and it is our number one alarming sensory input. So if we go through a traumatic experience, one eye or the other will interpret it and lay down a different memory network. 
So we will actually, if you have an athlete, look at one eye or the other and um, ask them which one feels more activating and upsetting within and around the ski crash. One eye will be more upsetting than the other. Um, so that's the thing. We have them cover one eye, whichever one's going to be most activating typically, unless it it's like too overwhelming. If someone gets really flooded with it, then we'll choose the more um, relaxed uh, sensation of that eye and begin to process from there so that we're not pushing someone to too much cortisol in that moment. We call it the window of tolerance. Um, but so then we're doing that and then we go ahead and uh, use a pointer and we are finding a reflexive cue when they start to talk about the experience or think about the experience. And then the seconds that you ask them were that, oh no, kind of scary experiences, like what that sensation is in the body, we will find a, a wobble or a triple blink with the eye. And so that's the um, ocular reflux, which is connected into our brainstem and essentially uh, intertwined with our vagus nerve. So mm -hmm. with that, the second that you find that moment, you have uh, completely connected to your vagus nerve, you've completely connected to the deep middle brain, you're accessing that information. And so with that, you do the overload principle. And athletes understand the over, overload principle because it's an exercise science physiology um, term of we are going to have someone sit there and process it and fill it fully. So they push the cortisol to the max and they come down the arc with the oxytocin, just like you would if you're doing bicep curls. And finally, it's just too much. And then you get that rush of endorphins and feeling good. So we're doing that with the memory network. And with that, you are deregulating the amygdala because we create a homeostasis around our current reality. So the more that you are reprocessing and rewriting, because it's like Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about like rewriting networks, right? So you go back through them and you want to assign a positive experience, but we're trying to do it uh, neurobiologically, uh, right? So outside of the conscious awareness, this is just happening biochemically. It's not really assigning, telling someone, well, tell me about the concussion and then instantly tell them, well, now let's just go ahead and say that it was a positive experience. Let's just pretend and, and okay, do you feel it's a positive experience? Now it is. That's not how we work. Um, we have to access that middle brain in that altered state and uh, stimulate the brain stem and the vagus nerve so it strengthens. This is Dr. Stephen Porges with the University of Indiana. It's all of his work on polyvagal theory. Um, and he endorses brain spotting within around that and EMDR and somatic experience. Um, mm -hmm. Because you are, you're bringing it back to the body. So the body actually um, reconnects and uh, gets stronger from it. Just, just like the physiology training principles. Um, so brain spotting would be my primary with that. Um, been adding in some other little pieces of other therapies, of course, but um, I find if you then put on the photobiomodulation or an audiovisual entrainment, so you do like 40 minutes of brain spotting, then you combine those two other modalities, which you can do the audiovisual entrainment concurrently with the photobiomodulation, I get an even greater result on my QEG brain scans. So you're stacking um, more modalities. And what that looks like with the brain spotting, again, you're deregulating the amygdala around the experience and those five sensory input. So if you're going back through the experience, we know that we're producing less cortisol. We're calming that amygdala. Um, so that's not consistently running with us. Then you put on the photobiomodulation and you're rushing the system with, well, you're stimulating, you know, the photobiomodulation stimulates the mitochondria to produce uh, nitric oxide. Well, nitric oxide is an antioxidant. Cortisol is a free radical. So you're flushing the system with um, 
antioxidant and oxygen, um, very similar to hyperbaric chamber. So I, I'm not an MD. I, I can't have a hyperbaric chamber, but I would if I could, <laughs> because <laughs> if you did that even more, then you would even saturate the tissue more. So um, you're, again, then kind of resourcing the body after it's uh, reprocessed this trauma, flushing it with that so that now we're having even more positive physiological experience around just processing all this really intense trauma, rewriting those neural networks. Then you add in the audiovisual entrainment, and I love the Mind Alive device. Uh, David Seifer has been working on that device for 37 years, and so that's a little bit of your binaural uh, frequencies in there, and so they're adjusting just through tones and the little flashing lights, different than the photobiomodulation near-infrared, infrared light, um, but it's actually repatterning re and reprinting your brain patterns, because if you don't actually repattern and reprint, you can sit here and reprocess and get the brain healthier, deactivate the amygdala, strengthen the vagal tone, your boss nerve, you know, your heart rate variability syncs up with your gut motility and with your mind, uh, less beta theta ratio, beta is the anxiety, theta, because these are brain waves and beta theta, um, mm -hmm. beta is calm, cool, collected, confident, and composed. So you uh, decrease that ratio, right? So you get all that done, but if you're not repatterning and, um, getting all of the brain waves to uh, work in concert together. And, and it's super simple to do. These audiovisual entrainment devices are like, you know, 500 bucks, like anyone can have one. Um, mm. You know, you have to retrain the brain, right? So, so the same as you would with physical therapy, you sit there and you work through the injury with the physical therapist, but then you're gonna have to go back out and retrain for your competition, right? So you do right. what you do in physical therapy. So that's like brain spotting. <laughs> you heal, you get all healthy, no more pain. And then you've got to go back out and really repattern, right? Our, our brain works the same as our body. So doing all of that gets, gets your brain back up to where it was prior to any injury or trauma that it ever experienced. Um, it's, it's quite fascinating. And what I'll see even with the QEG too is that if we don't do the audiovisual entrainment after, you will still have areas that just don't have a ton of communication or the reaction time in that area is almost double what it should be. And you think, man, what's, you know, even if you're bringing back the tissue, the blood flow to the tissue with the uh, photobiomodulation, uh, you're still seeing some areas that are just fairly weak with the brainwaves, um, you know, the balance between the, the brainwaves. So it's just quite interesting. And, you know, and it's kind of like Dr. Linz Osha's work. He was one of the first ones to do some of the neurointegration, biofeedback kind of stuff. And, and now he's really shifted to just the photobiomodulation because the reality is, is if you're encoding certain areas with tones and energy and light energy, um, that area could become kind of hyperactive. And then the other area, you know what I mean? It's like, you're still not very balanced because the brain and the body is kind of shifting all the time. So why not uh, cover the whole head? with the light, right? So he's, he's actually made a MitoQ um, near-infrared infrared light now. So, so some of these things that we're like, oh, this is really high tech and advanced now. We're like, well, you know, um, <laughs> that, that's not exactly true. You know, uh, biophotons are how our brain work. You know, the communication between uh, within the dendrite, uh, they're, they're hollow micro, microtubules. So that's, um, you know, it's a quantum physics and, and really what I'm proving with my PhD at this point in time is this biophoton communication. Um, so adding light energy to someone, because what happens as Lynn Zosh found is that certain areas of our brain just don't have any activation or light when we go through trauma. Um, and it's accessing those experiences and then dumping more light in there. Um, yeah, so 
that would be, <laughs> I, I love all of these modalities, not saying everyone has to get all three, um, but it's, uh, I see insanely quick results. After one session, I will literally see someone's voltage in the brain go up five volts and their reaction time, like, you know, double, um, you know, and how quickly it is. Because the P300 with that is that each of the 18 electrodes in the brain, when we're looking at the brain, um, I will see certain areas be nearly 500 milliseconds. Well, we want it as close to 300 milliseconds as possible from the tone in your ear to clicking the mouse, right? So that's everything with sports. If you're double your reaction time, you're going to see, um, you know, a quarterback flinch before they like throw. It's like, my gosh, you're going to see, um, you know, with the skiing, their time slow down, you know, and then they're just not even consciously aware. They're like, why am I not skiing as fast as I used to? It's like your body's holding back. It, it's not reacting mm -hmm. enough. Um, so yeah, getting, you know, taking social work and getting it more into this, um, neuropsychophysiology space of, Hey, these modalities actually cause this, um, you know, neuroscience reaction here. And so then that's looking more at the peak performance piece. And, you know, what I'll typically see is the mental health symptoms leave before we get our sports performance optimization back too. So when someone calls and they're just like, Oh, I'm having performance anxiety, having a lot of issues, not being able to sleep and, and um, they're like, and I want my sports performance to be better. And I'm just like, oh yeah, okay. Well, you know, that's sympathetic nervous system dysregulation. Anxiety is the number one symptom of that. And um, yeah, so we'll do this, these reprocessing and, and you know, the light and the audiovisual entrainment. And, and then, you know, after about six sessions, then we'll start to see, um, you know, an increase in your sports performance. But before then, we'll start to see a mental health um, increase. So yeah, <laughs> it's that spectrum of healing. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's really incredible stuff for sure. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. You know, it's, it's awesome information. It's definitely a lot of, of new information to kind of take in and process. So if somebody were to kind of, you know, certainly be interested in, in learning more about brain spotting, especially, but all of these things, what would be the best resource that you might point them to? Um, you know, it's inter international brain spotting. Uh, there are trainings going on all the time. So there's a phase one, two, three, four in master's training. Uh, we're having our second international conference is coming up in Denver in July. So we will have uh, practitioners from all over the world presenting. Um, I get to do a group brain spotting experiential for sports performance. Um, so I'm super excited about that and really getting the, cause there's a different setups for how you work with various people because, um, uh, whatever scenario the person is presenting with, whatever um, kind of person that they are, like there's like um, setups to work with um, actresses and actors, or setups to work with, um, you know, uh, gosh, um, gosh, EMTs and some of those emergency workers like that. We have people that specialize in that. There's a disassociative identity disorder, um, just uh, clinical depression. There's child. Uh, setups, you know, when you're working in child therapy. Um, so yeah, and addictions, we have a lot of addiction setups. So with it, it's that, you know, you have these experts in their field who have taken it and um, really adapted it to their population. So mine's going to be more with sports, but we do now that everything's online. I mean, they'll have at least six trainers a weekend doing a phase one or two. And then David Graham, the creator, does the phase three and fours, and those are a little more advanced. And uh, the phase three is where you get introduced to some of the sports work. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's been an amazing, um, exciting learning process of 10 years of um, working with that. Um, I would say that 
you know, with the photobiomodulation, gosh, I mean, there's over 5,000 peer-reviewed studies on that. And that really started in Harvard in 93. James Carroll brought that from um, Europe over here. So there's the Wellman uh, Clinic associated with Harvard. And they have, I mean, the amount of peer-reviewed studies, it's unreal with different types of conditions. Um, but yeah, to be a certified light therapist, it's becoming a more uh, known thing. Chiropractors already, their uh, licenses have covered photobiomodulation for years. Um, MDs, medical doctors, of course, uh, it's just, a, it's kind of time consuming. So not a lot of people do it um, in the clinical setting and insurance doesn't necessarily reimburse it because it takes a while for these things to really catch sure. on. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's a barrier and you, you feel sad when someone's consulting with me across the country. I'm just like, someone in your area do it. You know, it's um, difficult, but I know some of the brain spotters that have combined it in. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, as practitioners, it's like, if you're really interested in working with the sports injuries and some of these things with the photobiomodulation in and of itself, you know, a bone will heal 50% quicker. Uh, you get performance gains up to 300% more gains. And that's peer reviewed studies that they've done. And it's like, wow, this is when I first saw it presented at a sports medicine conference, I was just like, is this magic? You know, whatever happened to rice, you know, rest, ice, compress, elevate. It's like, this is like right. phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so if an individual can get back out there, you know, we can pre prevent a lot of this loss and grief and missed opportunity. You know, some of these kids, if uh, they get injured and they don't heal quick enough for, uh, you know, to get a coach to look at them for college or something. Um, and then the audiovisual entrainment devices, they're very self, um, administered, right? So uh, that's the Mind Alive company, and he's got a ton of research. He's got uh, about 300 peer-reviewed studies, and they actually very specifically did one with the Dallas Cowboys where they had all the guys uh, utilize it, and their times increased alone without even doing any mm -hmm. of the, like, detraining reprocessing. So that was really cool. That's a cool study. Um, you know, these things we got to get the word out there about all these things for athletes sure. um, because it feels like so often that we are only focusing on the uh, training aspect and it's just so disheartening always because gosh, suicide's like the number one cause of death of uh, young, you know, young boys into uh, young men. And um, this, we just need to destigmatize this once and for all that, um, it's not about being weak. It's about the nervous system being dysregulated and there are things to Absolutely. regulate. And yeah, so lots of, lots of cool things for any uh, coaches or parents or providers to look up from today because I want nothing more than everyone to have all of these tools so that people get healthier quicker. For sure. Thank you so much for all of this information and, and for anybody interested in learning more, again, um, look up Paige, her, her private practice is on point perform performance neuro training. Yeah. Um, but Paige, again, thank you so much for joining us. It was really wonderful talking with you today. Yeah, thank you. I, any opportunity I can to give someone a little bit of information to shift, you know? Thanks so much, Paige. It was great. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Back in the Game, a sports and mindset podcast. 
Please make sure to join us next time as we continue to discuss the mental skills you need to get your mind back in the game and perform at your best.